This is the Toddcast Podcast. I'm a guy named Todd. And I'm a guy named Aaron. Join in our conversation as we discuss anything and everything. Pointless debates, music, Star Wars, nerd culture, and so much more. There are no scripts, no show notes, commuters, sit back and enjoy the ride. The Toddcast Podcast starts now. Hello and welcome to the Toddcast and our inaugural session of Band Book Club. I've got Eric with me and uh, a special guest, executive producer Abby. Eric, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm doing well. This is the first, uh, I would say probably first non-Disney, non-like SEO web design, uh, maybe wrestling book that I've read in the last 25 years. And by read, I meant listen to on Audible. Of course, <laughs> as, as you do. <laughs> Now, on the other hand, I believe that, that Abby, I believe that is not the truth. That's not the same for you. You've read more than just Walt Disney World and Disneyland books, correct? That is correct. I do tend to read about 30-ish books a year. Yeah, as much as you often refer to me as one of those readers, Eric, I got nothing on Abby. She's she's always right. got a book in her hand, fiction, nonfiction. I believe there's some sort of multi-generational, what do you call it, Abby, the things that you read? Like an epic multi-generational family saga. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm a fan of so, those. So 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 Star Wars, but without the outer space. So she loves Star Wars. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, today it's fun because we're actually talking. Uh, when we discussed this, we I didn't have any notion. We went through the whole band books and kind of picked the ones out of a lineup that we thought were notable. Or uh, primarily, I looked at it and said, I've heard that title before. <laughs> and in this case, Todd Todd was like, "Yes, that is that is one of Abby's favorites." Oh, if not the favorite is yes, Abby. Is this your favorite book of all time? Or are we putting you on the spot with this? You're not putting me on the spot. I would definitely say this is my favorite book of all time so far. This is a great way to kick off the band book series. So, "The Kill a Mockingbird" is our first book to talk, and of course, we have you know special guest Abby to kind of class up the joint and probably do all the heavy lifting. Right, all heavy, because I'm thinking to myself, I just finished this book maybe a week ago. So I, you know, I don't know what kind of information I can bring to it, you know. I mean, obviously the plot, you know, obviously some of my general thoughts and feelings, but I haven't really sat down and let it digest, you know. A year later, I, you know, I don't know the impact. So if you say, hey, how did you like this book? The book was fine for me. I mean, it wasn't hard for me to go through. It, uh, you know, was enjoyable in many aspects, but like, did it do anything to my life yet? Did, where I, was I in like a supermarket and said, oh, you know, this book, I reflected back on this book and made a, a decision or a feeling. No, I haven't had that opportunity yet. So, <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Eric, um, mm -hmm. because this is, I mean, this is a classic. This is often on the old required reading lists. So, of right. course, I didn't read this until I was an adult. Um, and this is actually my second read through of this. Have you read this before? I don't recall this ever being, I mean, I, it was on a list, but I don't believe. I ever chose this. I probably chose The Hobbit. Uh, which, <laughs> they give crazy. you five books, pick one. It's always The Hobbit. The answer is The Hobbit. And I don't believe we're <laughs> banning The Hobbit. But in this case, no, I, I've, this was the first time that I've ever read uh, this book per se. And I will say read, guys, do you understand? This was a straight up audible notion. It still counts. I, well, I mean, listen, I took many of days and chose not to listen to uh, music and or podcasts about football or whatever to, to to this. I think that counts. Yeah, I believe audiobooks count. 
Right. So, all right, well, why don't we get into it in this aspect? So we're, we're not necessarily as this is the first of the series, but this is very much like our IMDb top 250. We're not necessarily going through page by page or chapter by chapter the actual plot line. That is not the case of this. This is almost like I've never been part of a book club, but I assume a book club is, hey, how did this book make you feel? What were some notable aspects of it? You know, I personally love the history aspect of like, why was it written or who wrote it and what time was, you know, because obviously this is banned and we're going to talk about why it was banned in many aspects. So this is where we'll probably prompt some questions. We'll prompt some thoughts and then we'll let Abby tell us if we're right or wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good old fact checking. So the, the author is Harper Lee. Yes. I imagine now this is how bad it is. And most of the people, if you're a diehard mocking, uh, kill a mockingbird fan you're gonna probably turn this off i don't know if harper lee is a boy or a girl <laughs> i'm assuming it's a girl right <laughs> yes she was a woman yes the, the name doesn't necessarily give it away i don't know that i've ever encountered anyone named harper in my life well for sake of reference her actual name is nell harper lee oh and she was concerned that if she published as nell harper lee people would mispronounce her first name as nelly because it's spelled N-E-L-L-E. Uh, and so yeah. she dropped it and used Harper Lee as her pen name. But in her personal life, everyone referred to her as Nell. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I like the name. I, I think it's a great name. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, she's right. I would have probably called her Nellie. Now, I will tell you, and I don't know if this is the truth. Now, um, Abby, how old, when was this, when was this even written? And I know it sounds awful, but I didn't look that up. Like, is this... <laughs> so the book was published in 1960. And okay. It's set in the 30s during the Great Depression. Okay. It took me forever to figure I, I to figure out when that was. I didn't Google it, but as I was listening through this book, it took me forever to realize when this actually happened. You know, I knew that there were they mentioned um right off the get-go, they mentioned an old president. And I'm like, okay, is this like an 1800 book? Uh, then they start talking about football. I'm like, all right, I can figure this out. And then they were talking about cars. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just that. So um, great timing, though. I, I appreciated the, the time frame. So she wrote this book. And I'm guessing the 50, late 50s, if it was published in the 60s. So it was about 20 years or so after the time frame. Does that sound about right? Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. What do you know about Harper Lee? As she wrote other things? So this this was Harper Lee's only novel until 2015 uh, when Ghost at a Watchman was published. To some controversy, I believe. To some controversy. Most people believe that she did not actually want that published and that it's not really a novel. It is a first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird. And it oh. is actually set with Scout being an adult. So it shows a kind of a different view of events. But there are so many passages in both books that are identical. And there's historical reference. Um, in the archives of the publisher who originally published To Kill a Mockingbird that talk about the evolution of editing the book that that I think at this point most most people who care to take an opinion um believe <laughs> that Ghost at a Watchman was actually a first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird and it was published at a time when Harper Lee was in 
very ill health and kind of, um, I mean, she was extremely old. Right. She didn't have full sight or hearing. She had suffered a stroke. Her older sister, who had been very protective of her throughout her life, had passed away and was no longer looking after her affairs. And it feels to me like it was a money grab on the part of the publishers. I personally did not purchase the book. I did get it from the library just to see what all the fuss was about. And it definitely seemed to me as an avid Mockingbird reader that it was a first draft type thing and not a separate novel. So really she only published one novel and it's extremely autobiographical. Her father, A.C. Lee, was a lawyer. He ultimately ended up being like kind of a property-based lawyer, but he, at one point in his career, when she was a child, defended two Black men who were accused of murdering a white storekeeper, and they both ended up hanged. Um, She was childhood friends with Truman Capote, who stayed next door to her, and he's clearly the inspiration for Dill. And so I feel like it's, it's extremely autobiographical in its way. And it's funny that she's it's she's essentially the a one hit wonder of you know book writing. She's but she only did one, so she's like a hundred percent well, real one. We'll we'll say one. So she's pretty much like the aha of book writing. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm I'm yes. fine with it. I mean, <laughs> that's that's crazy. I would have you don't you don't think that way. I guess with a book, I feel like if you're a writer, you just keep writing, unlike you know. Um, I guess there is no equivalent, though, because, uh, you know, when you're a band, you don't just put out one single, typically, unless you're right. Jesse and the Rippers, you know, <laughs> you you basically put out malt, you put out an album and there's one hit. But to have one actually, you know, just yeah. write a book, one song. It, yeah. And it's well, like also the, you know, every, I've heard of it. Like we said, most people have heard of this. This is like a classic in general. And it hasn't been around for 200 years. I would have assumed that this book would have been around since like the 1700s, just the way it's been talked about and and thrown on every single list. So that's pretty darn awesome. Well, I think think that is actually why you never heard anything else from her. She was so overwhelmed by the amount of publicity Ah. and fame that came with having this book because even though it's been controversial since it's publishing, um, it was a sensation, you know, and it was turned into a movie that won Oscars and things. And so like, she just had constant publicity and she hated it. Uh, she did help Truman Capote write some of his books. So I think that she still liked to write, um, but she just was so overwhelmed that she didn't want to have to deal with all of this again uh in her later life she was asked if she would ever write something else and she said i said what i needed to say and that was just her answer but she was famously private she didn't give very many interviews uh or public appearances she just really kind of disappeared after the book became so popular in the 60s she living off that book money Oh, I'm sure. Anything else, right? I don't know how that works. I don't understand how book finances work, but 
Heck yeah, man, that's a life. money to be made, I bet it's her. She had it. Listen, I'm going to stop what I'm doing right now. I'm going to write a book about uh, a TV VCR repairman. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and see if I can't make that book money happen. All right. Well, you, so you mentioned this a couple of times, uh, and this is the whole point of this, um, is the whole banning situation, which I don't know. I guess in this day and age, I, I listened and read. I don't think I'd want to be reading this book aloud in school. I feel like Oof. I feel very awkward in many aspects. Yes. But from a banning perspective, I don't I, I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, we're banning books for every which reason now. So it's very difficult. But so, do you guys know some of the reasons or, or you know, when they I mean, when this all started happening? <laughs> when did we I mean, it had to be an overnight. It had to be a sensation enough that people were like, oh, yeah, and all about it. And then all of a sudden we turn on it and then we start burning the books. You know, it feels like the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, it's been getting banned and getting hard times, I think, pretty much ever since it got published right abby yeah and yeah i mean i know that that some some folks have concerns with sort of the racial issues and concerns in there kind of from both sides like some people don't are are not happy that it's showing white folk happen helping black folk some folks are upset by that because they don't particularly like black folk other folks are upset by that because it's sort of got the whole white savior situation going on, which is not super cool either. For the most part, that's what I always assumed it was, was just the, 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 the racial end of things. Uh, Abby, are you, you familiar with other particular reasons why folks are upset? I think another thing, especially uh, back in the day, and I mean, it still persists. And as, as Eric said, we're banning books for every possible non-reason nowadays um right but you know the sexual content the book does address the topic of rape right not in great detail um certainly not explicit um but because that's a topic people have objected to that i think another thing that people have objected to is that they're um you know it shows challenging authority which if you're the authority, you don't like that <laughs> to be in yeah. books. Um, right. But, you know, Todd touched on, I think in the past, a lot of the objections to this book have been, well, we don't like the way it portrays white people. We don't, we don't want to be reminded of how we've behaved. And I think the tide is kind of turning and, and some of the challenges to the book nowadays are more progressive in that, like Todd said, the book centers white people and their version of events. Um, there are 48 instances of the N-word, which, as Eric said, like that would be uncomfortable to read in class. I simply wouldn't read those words. And I think a lot of teachers tell students not to. But imagine that you're a black kid in a classroom full of mostly white kids that's got to be uncomfortable. It, oh, it God. Seem okay. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's basically, at that point, school-mandated racial harassment. Because if, if you're telling little Jimmy, nope, go ahead and say the N-word. It's okay. That's that's a problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, this whole notion of, and this is where it can get tricky, because you can see where this book is far more impactful and could certainly be very impactful and required for someone to read 
a good literary, you know, nice, a well done told story. You care about the characters. You can see an arc. You see this, but more importantly, you're telling stories. And so you can see where, like, all right, I could see why this is on a required reading. But then you can also see, well, yeah, maybe I do, I want to choose if my kid reads this because of some of these topics and so forth. So I could see where it's a very tricky subject where it's like, yeah, you could see as the school, you should read good books. You should read books that have meaning, purpose, done well, so forth. And then you could see, also see where like, yeah, this one's a little tricky though. Is there, a, you know, can we find the non-explicit version? I think another thing that this book has is the portrayal of racism is kind of dated. And what I mean by that is that if you read this book and you're like, well, that's what racism's like, we've clearly fixed that problem. No. I, I think I think there's an argument to be made for this book still being available to students. Have it in your school library, have it on lists of books that they can choose from. But as far as required reading, is this the best book to teach kids today about racial issues? No. Clearly, the option there is, as Eric said, The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, as always. But uh, Abby, I agree with you in this, and this is reason good reason to have you on because this is kind of, I guess, this is the point of a book club, is that this is overly racist, right? Like you can tell, it's very point blank, black and white. This is what racism, and this is maybe what people point racism as, but it's not. Nowadays, it's not like that. It's not that black and white. It's not, hey, you're drinking from a different fountain or vice versa, which is obviously this right. time. So yes, it does paint a real click, clear picture of what racism was and, and prejudice and, and how, you know, authority and, and, and who has the power can make control, even if it's right, wrong, so forth. But yeah, it, it is. It's kind of blurred because it is overly, overly, you know, clear. Where nowadays it's not. So I, you know, I don't know right. if there's a book. Once again, Abby's the one that is averaging more two and a half books per month. So she might have found something that is a better required so, reading. I don't know of one. I, I think there are people who would say that a good substitute for this would be The Hate You Give, which is a modern book from a black perspective about modern day racism i think it was also made into a movie if i'm remembering correctly i think that implies that people yeah. that that there's that everyone wants to read and actually learn an honest accounting of racism right. and i think one of the reasons why people got all hot and bothered about this and banned it is like you said it it kind of reminds us hey remember when we were ass hats and thought we, right. we, we could do that whole separate but equal bullshit and they didn't care for that. And again, right. I think there are those that look back on that with, oh, yes, the good old days, because they suck. And then there are people, you know, people look at it like, oh, man, I don't want to be reminded about how much we suck. Like, it's a good book. It tells a good story, but there's a lot of subtle undertones of people's thoughts that could easily turn against this for a number of reasons. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do think the fact that we're having this discussion about how this book makes people uncomfortable is a, is a reason to point out that it's still relevant, even if it's not the best book to teach kids about racism on the required reading list. It's still a very valuable book to kind of analyze history and have discussions. And I, I do think the book addresses in a lot of subtle ways, like how to 
treat people with kindness and how to overcome prejudice that are are valuable. I know for me personally, like the first time I read this book, I was 13. And so I'm like, Eric, I've had plenty of time to reflect on this. Just book a few years on my life. <laughs> You're still young. <laughs> yeah, not that young, but I've also reread it. I've reread it every summer, nearly my entire life. It's like my summertime book. Um, there are whole passages I have memorized because I've read this book so many times. For me, growing up in a white suburban neighborhood, homeschooled, and kind of sheltered from most things in the world, I got a lot out of this book. And I'm very glad that I was able to read it. I just didn't let my education about racism stop there. And I still love this book, and I will always love this book. But I do think there are better books if you're trying to learn what's up right in America. Well, it's it's certainly uh, you know I look back at it. You know, truth be told, I thought it was a, a <laughs> the name. I thought it was going to be like a mystery novel. I really did. I literally went into <laughs> this without any type of notion. I'm just like, all right. So I, you know, I and I and I got real excited when they mentioned the mockingbird, like in the couple first chapters and stuff. I'm like, all right, let's figure out what's going on. What's this, this, it's all going to be about, you know, so I just, you know, it, it, you know, I didn't have any expectations, uh, and it was a pleasant, like I literally, and you know, something good, something that's telling a great story is when you want to go back to it. And I made a point several times that day says, well, I'm going to listen to a chapter right now. And that's just, you know, in the world of busyness, you know, that's not easy to do. And so, so there is definitely something about this book that I haven't yet quite put my finger on it. Cause I haven't had. 20 years to and, and i haven't read it every summer although it is a perfect summer reading book you can just tell in the tone it just seems like it's summertime oh yeah yeah but there's something about this book that you could tell it was good it just i need time to reflect to see like all right how much did i appreciate it or how well and i can't put my finger on it and so this is where i would almost want to say like i'm it i haven't thought or read or done anything about the symbolism of certain aspects certain characters or any of that yet so i would love Abby, Todd, of course, you've read it multiple times and so forth. Uh, enlighten us, myself, like give us some uh, examples of like some of the symbolism used or some of the notions in this book that, you know, has lasted, you know, over time. The most obvious one, which you've already brought up, is the mockingbird as a symbol of innocence, I think would be the best summary of that. Miss Maudie explains to out you know that mockingbirds don't do anything but sing their hearts out for people right. and that's why it's sin to kill them and then that keeps coming up throughout the book after tom robinson is shot spoiler alert oh no what you what <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is where we find out whether or not you really read the book right um but after tom shot mr unward compares his death to the senseless slaughter of songbirds and scout at the end of the book when she's talking about who Radley and how bringing bother to him would be like shooting a mockingbird. I think also you've got the connection between their last name being Finch, which is a small bird. Right, right. And just kind of that vulnerability uh, that these kids had throughout the book. I think, I think that all ties in to the overall theme of, you know, innocence. Yeah, I can see that. 
you know, granted, I just noticed the Finch thing because I was listening to it. And that just, you know, when you read stuff, you, I always, I'm like, you know, by listening, I'm not going to be able to pick these people's names out. I'm going to get characters confused just because that's how that works. But yeah, the whole Finch thing, I didn't even notice that until you just said it. So yeah, that makes sense. Well, then I think Boo Radley is kind of symbolic of the kid's development from innocence. Okay. See that into yeah. a grown-up moral perspective. All right, because that's the one that was confusing to me. So, so he, throughout the book, he starts out kind of like as this childhood superstition, right? To them, right? And then by the end of the book, he's moved to a real human being in their eyes, mm-hmm. and I think that that kind of illustrates how they went from just being innocent, carefree kids to kind of having this whole more grown-up view of the world and more fully understanding some things right i don't know you agree well i i'm i'm i agree and i this is what these are the small things that make i think these books different than your you know your romance novels with the with fabio on the cover like right so i didn't notice this right but like when you're reading and listening to these things you their symbolism being used and this was well thought out right that character being mm-hmm. there is the symbol that you need but you don't necessarily recognize it until you think back on it and those are kind and that's what i like about movies too the little the little easter eggs the little tidbits that you throw in that mean something but you don't recognize it until you say you know you almost go back and want to watch it again or want to read it again so obviously that sounds legit to me like, you know, I wouldn't have been able to pull it out unless I was like sitting down thinking like, all right, what's this character made for? And more so, did the author have intent to make this happen? Which she's not just trying to sell a book. You could tell by the way she lived the rest of her life. Where mm-hmm. I feel like that is so difficult to find anymore. It's like, you know, if you're an author, you have to put out a book. You don't have time to say every character has to have meaning. Every chapter should have some purpose. Does this, is this necessary? I feel like in this world, it's just a matter of just create content get it out there, sell it, commercialize, it doesn't matter. And that that makes it more difficult to, you know, and now I'm kind of, everything that I have, I don't even think of like, all right, was there purpose there? And if there is some type of symbolism, you almost feel it's like an accident. Where with a book right. like this, you almost feel like this this was there for a reason. There's a reason the last name was Finch. There's a reason Boo Radley existed. Because if he wasn't there and it was just some random guy down the street that helped her at the end, you know, that's, to me, that would be a modern book, but maybe I'm, you know, not the right person to talk about it, yeah. but I know how that's happened with, you know, other entertainment. So I'm just thinking to myself. So, so I, I would agree. And that's one of the reasons why I like this book and why I think it is a classic is because it is very multi-layered and, and well thought out. And like you, you start reading this book and she's taught, you know, it's this kid talking about her, her life in the South whatever and there's some stuff in there that just seems like super random like oh here's this guy coming by to to see atticus to pay him you know a sack of potatoes for for some sort of thing what the hell does this have to do with anything and then they you know they start talking about playing their little boo radley games and how you know all these thoughts about how he's some sort of killer and all this drama stuff and then like mid book all that just drops away like, like we stop talking about Boo Radley at all, and we start talking about Tom Robinson. They're like, okay, that took a turn. Why did we <laughs> deal with all that? Why did we? Why did we listen to all that stuff earlier? And then, you know, you you have the t- the trial of Tom Robinson. It's like, okay, this is this is what this book's about. That's it's good. You're listening to it, and then that comes to its conclusion. And again, 
I remember it being different when I was reading the physical copy because you could look down and see, oh, crap, there's still half a book left. But listening right. to the audio, because it's been a while and I've kind of forgotten, I'm like, okay, the trial's ending. This happened. We're we're, we're going to be wrapping this up here shortly. Nope. We're going to go back to talking about, you know, all of a sudden we're at some, you know, school dance for Halloween. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? But when it's all said and done it all comes back around and makes sense. And it all had a purpose like dude coming up to talk about his entailment comes back later to basically save Atticus's life, you know, right. All that, all this mm -hmm. Boo Radley is, is, is scary and whatever. Well, he ended up saving your life. Like it, it all kind of comes back around and I really appreciate the craft and of, you know, of the author to be able to pull that kind of stuff off to, to foreshadow those things and, and make it all make sense. And to layer in some, you know, the symbolism with that, that's just, there's a reason this thing is, is so popular, <laughs> you know, whether it was banned or not, it's, it's, it, you know, from a literary perspective, it's, it's done well. I could see why an English teacher would want you to read this. I didn't choose to Absolutely. read it at the time because I didn't know about such things as a youth, but now as an adult, I can appreciate it. And I'm glad I've, I've read it. So Todd, it sounds like you really were paying attention to a lot of those little details as you went through this book the second time. I'm going to ask you a question and see if you caught a symbol that I did. Okay. Did front porches mean anything to you as you went through the book? Uh, I know. I mean, not with you posing the question the way you just did. I'm going to say no, not the way you think. Like I, there were a lot of porches, <laughs> but I guess to me, like front porches and people hanging out on front porches is just like a, a country southern thing that happened like that people just hung out on the front porch i mean it's old times they didn't have tv or the internet <laughs> so i just like there was yeah there was a lot of stuff that happened on front porches that i just chalked up to being you know of its time and place and didn't really think about symbolism too much what 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 do we got going on there abby well you're correct i i mean they, that was a more common thing back in the day because people would be hanging out on their front porches. But I think that Harper Lee used this as like a way to express the difference between like personal belief and public discourse and for some of that tension to be revealed. Because if you look at different things that happen on front porches, like Mrs. DeBose is hollering about Atticus from her front porch. Mm -hmm. Mr. Tate and a bunch of other men uh, talk to Atticus about his decision to take the case. The judge asks Atticus to take the case. Miss Stephanie is gossiping about the kids being at the trial on the front porch. And so there's there's all these instances where you're getting a glimpse of the tension between what people believe in their home and what they say on the street. Hmm. And I think it kind of comes to a head when Scout walks through home at the very end of the book. And she says that just standing on the Radley porch was enough to learn who he really was. Oh, okay. And so I felt like that was, because when I first read that, well, maybe not when I first, <laughs> when I was 13, I don't think I was thinking that hard. But when I first read that, I thought, what does she mean that being on his porch was enough to know who he really was? And then thinking back on all the other things that happened on porches, I was like, well, they had this idea of who he was in his home. And then they saw who he was out in the world. 
And she kind of was able to bridge that gap between the man that saved her life and the man who was holed up at home with scissors. Right. Stabbing his dad. Like <laughs> she just kind of, she felt like she had bridged that. And so I feel like that's, that's why torches were used in the way they were used in the book. Yeah, that's not. I also could be a pretentious asshole who's overthinking everything. No, no, that's one of those things that didn't occur to me while I was reading it or or whatever. But it's one of those. Now that you've said it out loud, that all makes sense. And I feel like if slash when the third read through comes, keeping an eye out for that will will make sense because I get what you're saying, and I yeah. and I and I, th- I think there's something there. I mean, it just never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Eric, thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I think you're you – know, so the last part where she was on the porch, that's the first – you know, that was a eye-opening, you know, experience for her and for the reader. It was very much addressed. So I was interpreting it like, you know, she has grown up and now can – her wisdom has come along with her that she can actually understand human beings a little bit better. So that's how I interpret it. But, I mean, obviously there what you're saying makes tons of sense is – very legitimate and and then when you say hey you know you're overthinking this or pretentious or what or whatever i'm thinking this is the whole purpose of podcasts abby like this is the stuff that we (laughs) you you can't overthink the reason podcasts exist and the reason we're talking about this book is because we have to overthink because you know we have to think of like hey what this works so i think it's perfect timing and i think that uh i don't think you're overthinking i think you're creating quality good content for other people to think about themselves on their third fourth fifth or 88th you know, time reading in the summertime. That's right. Yeah. Well, speaking of summertime, I would love to share a favorite passage from the book, if I could. Absolutely. It would not be a uh, book club, so to speak, if if this wasn't the case. So I just have to envision you right now, and we're all sitting around you, and you pull out your... Yes. (laughs) I love it. Go on. Well, and I'm going to say that this, this passage doesn't have anything to do with the racial themes of the book, or anything to do with innocence. This is just some damn fine writing that every time I pick up this book and start it, it moves me into the world of the book. Like it transports me and I'm no longer sitting in my living room or sitting in my bedroom. I am in the world of Makeham, Alabama. And this happens in the first chapter. It's not the very beginning sentences of the book, but it's pretty close. Makeham was an old town, but it was a tired old town when I first knew it. In rainy weather, the streets turned to red slop. Grass grew on the sidewalks. The courthouse sagged in the square. Somehow, it was hotter then. A black dog suffered on a summer's day. Bony mules hitched to hoover carts flicked flies in the sweltering shade of the live oaks on the square. Men's stiff collars wilted by nine in the morning. Ladies bathed before noon, after their three o'clock naps. And by nightfall, were like soft tea cakes with frostings of sweat and sweet talcum. People moved slowly then. They ambled across the square, shuffled in and out of the stores around it, took their time about everything. A day was 24 hours long, but seemed longer. There was no hurry, for there was nowhere to go, nothing to buy, and no money to buy it with. Nothing to see outside the boundaries of Macomb County. But it was a time of vague optimism for some of the people. Macomb County had recently been told that it had nothing to fear but fear itself. Very nice. Now that's yeah. that was um I re- actually recall that 
passage, even when we're going through it the first time. I thought that was well done. And it paints the picture that you need. For me, you know, books in general, like I get, like I know what these characters look like in my brain. Like I just, that's how I, I indulge in, like that's just how it works for me. And that's, I do like books. I just don't have much time for those. So painting that picture allowed you to kind of create this version of Maycomb County in your head. And I thought that was pretty damn cool. And I thought that was good. If you're, if it was a film, they would be doing those B-roll type shots. And I just pictured it all in my, in my brain. So I appreciated the, the setting of the scene. Now, granted, if I was smart enough, I would have realized what time frame it was based off the quote. Cause they, uh, they just quoted a president. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. And then there were, so, I mean, it's okay. So. But I will say that a few years back, I think it was 2016. Todd and I went to the town that Harper Lee grew up in, in Alabama. Okay. Monroeville, Alabama. That is the uh, template for Makeham. And the description was very apt. Oh, yeah. Even though it's all these years later, it just feels like a tired old town. It feels hotter. It feels like that kind of humid. Um, we got to go inside the courthouse. We ate ice cream at the Mel's Dairy Dream that is now on the site of Harper Lee's childhood home. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Um, that's how much I've loved this book over my life. I was willing to go to Alabama yeah, that... in search of the scene. <laughs> I get it. I get it. That sounds, I don't know. I think that's that. That's for a lot of people when they see a book, book or they have a book or a movie or something like that. They want to kind of see behind the scenes, so to speak, the making of. Right. Yeah. They, you know, they yeah. didn't make the making of uh, Kill a Mockingbird special back, at, you know, when it came out. And now you have that. So I think that's super cool. I'm always in, in, you know, it's nice to kind of see what was the inspiration and kind of, you know, put some of your, hey, this is what I thought it would look like. Oh, this is what she was thinking it looks like. Because right now, three of us all have different visions of what this town, you know, or this, what the, what they, what the, everyone looks like. You know, everyone has, different mm -hmm. visions. I, and, you know, I guess I'm going to be an advocate of book reading or listening at this point in time, because I think it's one of the cooler things, you know, and then when you actually have a movie, then you get to critique and be like, no, that's not how it looks like in my brain. It looks like this, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which I think is always super cool. And that's one thing that I appreciate. And it, you know, that's, that's imagination kids, I guess that's right. That's what that is. So I think that's great. Now, now I don't have, I can't say there's been any personal impact, you know, uh, right now. I don't have any impact on it. You've just read it for the first time now. It's not had enough time to have. There a is lot of no impact. personal impact. Now yeah. I will tell you that, um, you know, Atticus Finch is mentioned in the Ghostbusters movie, 1984. So that, that has personal impact on me. Uh, <laughs> and, and Eminem also did a song called Mockingbird, which I'm told there's some, uh, metaphorical like parallels between the, his struggles and, and what's represented in the movie. So I'm going to listen to that song. So that way I can see if there's any parallels, because yeah. I think that's super cool. Besides that, I have none. Todd, do you have any personal impact? Has this book impacted you from the first time you said you read it and didn't read it and then you actually read it um <laughs> oh let's be real clear back in high school when it was when it was assigned to me and i didn't read it i let the teacher know full well yeah i'm not reading <laughs> this because i was that asshat you know and they're like okay it's worth a double grade and i said yeah i don't care i do well enough on the spelling test and they're like all right we'll see and then you know we saw because i ended up pulling a b average in that class but that's not the moral of the story and really that's not a good moral to any story um but 
But that um, had an impact. <laughs> it, I mean, it had impact. Yes. Um, so, but no, I think since, since I, again, I don't know that I, this has impacted me at the same level that it has Abby. Like it was, it was, it was a good read. I enjoyed the craft of it. I understand why some people might want it to be banned, but I don't agree like on, on most of those counts. Uh, I mean, I would say the biggest uh, impact this one had on me is that, you know, it took me to Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which otherwise probably would have been a, yeah, we're just going to clip through a corner of this state as part of our 50 states journey, right? No, we went into Alabama to uh, to uh-huh. visit the, the ancestral home of Harper Lee. And it was good times, don't get me wrong. Right. Um, but I, I think when it comes to, you know, impact, et cetera, I think uh, Abby has uh, hoarded all of the impact uh, points for today's program. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, that's that's the advantage of having read it when it was assigned to me at the age of 13. Mm. Like, Burn, when you're, when you're impressionable and able to pick up on things like this and have it impact you and yeah. not wait until you're a crusty yeah. old man with, with opinions of your own. Before. <laughs> well, but it's, it's not just that. I mean, think about how much your life, like, since the time you were 13 to now, you've clearly developed those adult grown-up moral perspectives on racism and prejudice yeah at 13 i didn't have that right yeah right and because of the life i lived where i didn't see racism firsthand because i didn't see any black people same this was kind of eye-opening to me it it really now i will say there was a part of me growing up that assumed racism had been solved Right. Because I wasn't seeing this kind of thing. I don't blame the book for that. I blame my overall environment for that. Right. But like, um, I do think that this book had a profound impact on me in terms of re- realizing the unjustness. I mean, not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but I had, because I was homeschooled, I had a textbook, a history textbook that told us how slavery was good for people. Like that's literally a thing that appeared in one of my history textbooks was that slavery made sure that black people had enough to eat and some place to sleep. And that if the slave owners were Christian, those slaves were in a much better position than they would have been had they been left in Africa. So speaking of books that that should be banned, Right. <laughs> yes. But like that, that was my background. And so reading this book was really transformative to me, especially at a time when I was super impressionable and trying to figure out the world. Um, and I think rereading it is less about trying to eke more meaning out of it for me. Like I reread it on a regular basis because it's, there's something comforting about the world of the story and the town of Maycomb and the fact that this is a book I just know so well and I know these characters so well. It does not mean that I think the book is without flaws. You know, as I said earlier in the podcast, I believe there are better ways to learn about racism. But for 13-year-old Abby, this was a good introduction. It just, I didn't let it be my stopping point. I didn't decide that this book had taught me what I needed to know about racism. And it's something I continue 
to study today. And I think we all have a responsibility uh, to do so and to continue to learn about how various groups of people are oppressed and how we can support them and overcome our own prejudices and inherent biases. So all I got to say about that. That is well said, Abby. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you for uh, quoting Forrest Gump to end the show. No. <laughs> no, I think hey, it's, so it's, it's the South, right? Something, right? <laughs> it's Alabama. That's it, y'all. That's it. That's it. So, all right. Well, I think that's a um, great first edition of Banned Books. Abby, thank you very much for coming on and giving us a lot of information. I had to do a lot less research because of you. So, I my my calendar thanks you. Um, I'm right. sure the listeners, <laughs> uh, Saskatchewans uh, out there, they are also very happy. Uh, that you were able to join us. Uh, Todd, do you know what our next book is? Because I, I do. I, I can set you up for it. <laughs> uh, I, I believe our, our next entry is also a very specific time and place that at the time of writing was the future, but now is sadly far too distant past. And uh, it's it's 1984, correct? Right. We are going to the year of my birth. We're going to talk about all the things that happened in 1984. <laughs> You know, prior to October, hopefully October, and I'm sure there's a giant passage on October 8th that talks all about the wonders uh, that happened in life. But yes, we are going to be tackling 1984. So I got myself about a month to listen to read. I just got it on Audible last night. So join in on the fun. And, and once again, have no idea what this is about. <laughs> so <laughs> so have, you, find... have you read 1984 previously? Uh, no, it was uh, I chose The Hobbit. So, okay, okay, <laughs> all but down the line. This is another that's another one that I didn't read at the time. I ended up picking up as an adult, and we'll talk about it in at length next go around. So, right. Eric, thank you, thank you, Craig, for your research. Thank you, Thanks, Abby, right. for all of your just inherent knowledge. And once again, classing up the joint like you do. Well, thank you so much for having me and letting me talk about my favorite book. Our pleasure. And thank you, listeners. We'll, we'll see you next time. And uh, until the next time, I hope you all have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Toddcast podcast. If you have comments, questions, or topic ideas you'd like us to chat about, you can reach out on social. Search for Toddcast podcast. Visit our website at toddcastpodcast.com with a single D in Todd. There you will find show notes, original articles, and a backlog of episodes. If you'd enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share with your like-minded friends. Perhaps you would consider subscribing, following, or marking this podcast as a favorite if you've not yet done so. And of course, reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts are appreciated. Thanks again for listening to the Toddcast. Toddcast.